What need has God fashioned your heart to meet? Each of us has been designed with a purpose. God had something in mind when he thought each of us up. And so what was that for you? What did God have in mind when he thought you up? What need has God fashioned your heart to meet? Now, we've asked this question before here. Uh, and so what's your answer? Do you have an answer? Maybe, uh, maybe you really wish you had an answer. Or maybe even the question is frustrating to you because you have no idea how to even figure that answer out. Or maybe you see so much need, so much brokenness around you that you don't even know where to begin to answer that question, and the question just overwhelms you. I just got back from Ethiopia, and actually it was about three hours ago that I got off the plane, and, um, and just so y'all know, I think I am getting better at flying. Um, I, I, I figured out that I was on a plane both there and back for about 36 hours, and I can only recall screaming twice. Um, so I feel like that is an improvement uh, for me. Um, but I, I was in Ethiopia uh, just, uh, you know, just yesterday, and, um, and I was there uh, for the second time. I was going to visit uh, with the rest of uh, the team from Summit that was going there to visit one of our partners in Ethiopia, and, uh, and it was a great, it was a great trip. Um, I want to show you a picture of um, Aini. Uh, she is the lady who runs the partner that we were visiting with. Uh, she runs an organization called I Care for the Nations, and it is, it's a program really designed to help kids um, who, who are just in very hard circumstances, who are just kind of the poorest of the poor. And it's a program that not only helps the kids, but, but also helps uh, their, their moms. And, uh, and we, as a church, sponsor the kids in this program. Uh, there are 160 kids in this program. We sponsor 140, which means there are 20 kids in the program who need us to sponsor them. And so I'm hoping um, that over the next few days, those 20 kids will get sponsored. Um, but, but so I was, I was there with our team and engaging in this amazing work that is happening there. And, and what, I, what I love about what Aini and her team are doing is not only are they loving and supporting and providing just physical needs uh, for these kids, uh, but Aini really has a heart to empower their moms. A lot of these kids have uh, dads who have either passed away or have left them, abandoned them, and they're left with a mom who most of the time has no formal education and really has no job training where she can get a job to, to support her family. And so part of the program is about empowering women. It's about training women so that they can, uh, so that they can take care of their kids and, and actually won't need assistance any longer. And uh, Aini, if we can put the picture up again, um, I love this picture of Aini um, uh, because I think in it you kind of see that she like gets her hands dirty and she's right in there. Um, and she started this about five years ago. And before she started this, she was a mom and a wife and a, and a, and a businesswoman who actually was making a, a very good living. And then she got a picture. She got a glimpse of the need that God had fashioned her heart to meet, and she couldn't shake it, and she started I Care for the Nations. Uh, and this was, this was crazy. 
This was, this was kind of, uh, didn't make any sense. She, she, she got this vision for providing hope for women and children that most of the people around her said, you're crazy. Like, you've got a good paying job, you're a wife, you're a mother. This was not the kind of thing that a woman in Ethiopia does. But she was convinced that it's what God had called her to do. And the need, when you, when you go there, the need uh, for this is so overwhelming and it's so great. So a lot of people looked at her and said, hey, that's great that you want to help, but the need is so huge, you're not really going to be able to make much of a difference. You're going to end up pouring your heart and your time and your energy into something that really isn't going to amount to much. But once she got a taste, once she got a glimpse of what, what she was called to, what God had in mind when he thought her up, she couldn't help but go after it. Um, and one of the things I loved about this trip was we spent a lot of time with the staff that's come around her. Um, and, and the staff, as they kind of talked about why they were a part of this, why they, why they chose to, to work in this organization, they all said, we saw Aini give up so much. We saw this woman who really had a lot going for her just completely give up all of these other things, completely sacrifice for the, for the sake of these women and children that we just had to as well. That didn't matter what it cost us because if, if Aini could do it, we could do it as well. And, and like I said, I, this, is my second, this is my second visit there. And I can't tell you how much this program has grown in two years. It's amazing what's happened. I mean, right now, it started as just kind of in a little office, and she just tried to gather children around. And now it's, it's a program where I said there's 160 kids in it. And then she's got these trainings for these women that they're learning how to, to spin cotton, and they're learning how to be baristas. And, and these kind of jobs will actually give them uh, if they get a job in, no, in those fields, they actually can make a living wage. And it's, it's just, it's, it's exploding and it's, it's amazing what's happening. So now why do, why do I tell you about Aini? Is because I think that every one of us is called to some kind of ministry like hers. No. Do I even think that we're all called to kind of give up our regular jobs to do a, to do a ministry job? No. But I do think that every single one of us has a need that God has fashioned our heart to meet, and it's important that each of us discover what that is. So how do we do that? Well, I really believe by studying Ephesians all summer, we can. If you came in here and you're like, oh man, I have no idea, I don't even know where to begin, I believe that by studying Ephesians, you and I will be able to begin to figure out what it is that God has called us to do. And today, we're going to jump into Ephesians by looking at just the first two verses, just the intro to Ephesians. Now, oftentimes when I read uh, a book of the Bible, especially the letters in the New Testament, I kind of pass by the, the introduction pretty quickly. I usually don't give it much time because I want to get to like the meat of it. I want to get to what it's actually saying. But I decided this time to take a whole week and just read and meditate and pray through those first two verses. And I'm so glad I did because what I discovered in these first two verses, I think are, is so important for us as we spend the rest of the summer looking at this letter. I think what is contained in Paul's introduction will affect the way you and I read the rest of the letter. So let's look at that together. We're in Ephesians 1, and I'm going to read the first two verses. Paul 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Now, um, just to give you a little bit of background on the letter, um, if you do the study that we're putting out there, and if you watch the videos by Jim Miller, which I highly encourage all of you to do, you're going to get a lot more of this. You're going to get a lot of of information and context that you would get from a seminary professor. But I want to give you a little cursory introduction to this letter. And so this letter uh, was probably written around 60 A.D., It was written by Paul probably when he was under house arrest in Rome, and more than likely, it was not written specifically to the church in Ephesus. More than likely, as Paul was writing this letter, he meant for this letter to be circulated throughout all the churches in the area. It really has a much broader perspective that Paul is presenting in this letter. And one of the main reasons we think that Paul wasn't specifically writing to the church in Ephesus is Paul started the church in Ephesus, and he had served that church for three years. And in the letter, he doesn't really mention many specifics about the church. And if you read some of Paul's other letters, you you know that he he addresses churches and, and situations that are happening in the church, and he addresses certain people in the church. And he doesn't do that in this letter. And I, I think it's because he's really trying to write something uh, that has a has a broader purpose. One theologian says that the letter to the Ephesians reads like a starter guide for churches. That as you read Ephesians, you really begin to understand who Christ is and what he does and how that's the heart of our Christian identity. And so this really is the perfect letter to begin to study and look at if you and I are trying to figure out and understand our purpose. And right here in the introduction, I think Paul does two things that are gonna be so important for us as we really wrestle with that question. He shows us that we have strength in our source and we have strength in our message. And it's, it's gonna be important for us to understand these two things if you and I are going to be able to take the risk that God often calls us to, to do the good works which he has prepared beforehand for us to do. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in order to be able to do that, in order for us to be able to take whatever risk that is, you and I have to understand where our strength comes from. And we can find strength in our source and we can find strength in our message. So what's our source? Well, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So our source is the will of God. And Paul, when he, when he writes this word, he uses the Greek word thalamentos. And, and that's actually a very strong word indicating divine sovereignty. This has profound implications for us. Paul begins this letter by saying what he's been called to be. He's been called to be an apostle. An apostle is someone who is called to speak the word of God, who as he's speaking, it's as if God is speaking. He says, I am an apostle because of the will of God. It's not because of his record. It's not because of his skill set. It's because of God's will. Now remember where Paul was, who Paul was before Jesus interrupted his life. 
Paul was a self-righteous religious fanatic who joyfully persecuted Christians. Paul was, was probably the least likely person to be called an apostle of Jesus Christ. This should be so encouraging for us. This means no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, you can be used by God. It means that not, not a single one of us is off the hook. Not a single one of us could say, well, I just, I'm not, I'm not really that knowledgeable about the Bible. I haven't been a Christian that long and I've done a lot of bad stuff in my life. Like, I, I think I'm disqualified from it. No, right here at the beginning, Paul makes it very clear that he is qualified to be a servant of God, to be an apostle, to be one who speaks on behalf of God, not because of anything in him, but because it was God's will. If that's true, that can give you and I great confidence. We can say with certainty, I matter. And what I do matters. When we believe that we are people that have been called from darkness into light by a power greater than any challenge this world brings, there's a confidence that is produced in us that the world would find confounding. Ephesians 5.8 says this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. When your purpose is not of your own doing, when it's not something that you've figured out because you've kind of assessed what you think you're good at, but it's God's will, there's a confidence that you get that says no challenge I face is beyond God's plan. Aini, um, she grieves every, uh, every time she encounters the brokenness in her city, and it is a profound brokenness. She would take us to these home visits um, in the afternoon. We would spend the morning playing with the kids and doing a sort of vacation Bible school type program. But in the afternoons, we would go and, and visit their homes and, and, and spend time with their moms. And uh, every time we would go visit, Aini would cry. And, and it was amazing to me because Aini knew everyone's story. She already knew their stories. She already knew their circumstances. But she would cry nonetheless. She would cry as she, as she would sit amongst the brokenness that she was encountering. Yet for the last five years, she's kept doing it. She's kept serving in this way. She's kept pursuing these women and children, knowing that it's God's will to use people like her to overcome overwhelming challenges. Some of us don't know our purpose because we dismiss our purpose. Because we encounter challenges, and I think almost every single one of us has an inkling as to what need God has fashioned our heart to meet. But we dismiss it because when we think about the challenges, we think, well, that's, that's too big. Like, God's obviously not calling me to do that because I've got this job and I've got this family and, uh, and, and, and whatever my purpose is, like, I know it's going to be a lot more manageable than that. I know that I'm going to be better equipped for, for whatever God calls me to. And so I think most of us dismiss our calling because we look at the challenge and we say, there's no way I can achieve that. I'm not even sure that I can make a dent in that problem. But my guess is, you know what it is. You've just dismissed it. 
How many times have we turned away from God's will because we expect too little from him? Or maybe it's because we expect too much from ourselves. Paul was an apostle at a time uh, that was very difficult, the very beginning of Christianity. And not only was Paul called to go preach the gospel to the pagan world, to, to the Gentiles, to those who, who worship many gods or no gods, um, who had no context for the God of the Old Testament. Not only was he called to, to preach to a, to a group that was hostile towards his message, but he also had to deal with the Jewish people, the people who had grown up with, with God as, as their father. And all of a sudden, uh, the, these, these pagan Gentiles were being introduced into their religion. And, and there was all kinds of uh, uh, prejudice and, and rules. And, and so Paul was trying to do work that was incredibly difficult. So what kept Paul doing it? I think he never lost sight of how distant and opposed to the gospel his own heart was. See, the greatest witness to Paul of the great power of the gospel was its claim on his own heart. See, you and I, sometimes we don't see our purpose because we expect too much from ourselves. Because we believe or we take a lot of credit for our own salvation. See, if you and I, if we don't see our salvation as beating impossible odds, we have not seen our salvation. And it means that you and I will often miss God's will in our life because we're expecting too much of ourselves and too little of him. We forgot what it says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. See, Paul never moved past this incredible grace. Every letter, if you read any letter of Paul in the New Testament, you will see that he spends so much time just recounting the insaneness of Jesus coming after sinners, of the impossibility of his own salvation. So let me ask you this question. If you saw your salvation beating impossible odds, what impossible needs would you try to meet? If you really saw your salvation beating impossible odds, like Paul saw his, Paul said, I'm, I'm the furthest one from being able to grasp this on my own if Jesus hadn't completely interrupted me on that road to Damascus. If you really believed that your salvation beat impossible odds, what impossible needs would you try to meet? Now, again, your mission field might not be the poor in Ethiopia. It might be in your workplace or your neighborhood or your family. If there are people in your family who don't know Jesus, don't start in Africa. I mean, maybe, maybe God's calling you to Africa, but I wouldn't start there. I wouldn't assume that he's calling me to someplace far off. I would assume that he's calling me somewhere right now, that there's a need right around me that God has fashioned my heart to meet. During the um, question and answer time we have after the Thursday night service, a couple weeks ago, someone asked the question like, how do I, how do I know God's will for my life? And some of you might be sitting there and thinking, you know, I, I'm agreeing with what's being said here, but I still don't know how to figure out what it is. 
Maybe you've even been fervently praying for God to reveal his will to you, but it still just doesn't seem clear. Well, this brings up an important point about scripture, that it does need to be read and discussed and studied in community. As our as a church, our understanding and living out what Ephesians teaches needs each of our voices. I need to hear what you think about Ephesians. I need to hear what the Spirit is teaching you through Ephesians just as much as you need to hear from me or anyone else who will be up here teaching. There is something that happens when a community gathers around God's Word and opens it up and discusses it. That's why it's so important this summer to not just study Ephesians in isolation, but to study it in the context of community. I believe scripture is the clearest and most effective way for us to be able to discern God's will, but he speaks even louder and clearer when we study scripture together. So if you're one of those people who is struggling with knowing what God's will for your life is, then you need to get in a group and study Ephesians this summer. And I promise you, God will make it clear. And I know what I just said is a very bold claim. And and so I don't say that lightly. But I believe that if you get in a study with with a group of people who love Jesus and you spend this summer studying Ephesians together, by the end of this summer, you will have a pretty clear picture of what, what need God has fashioned your heart to meet. So we have strength in the source, that it's God's will. That that you and I know that it's not about us. It's not about what we can figure out. It's not because we've done something incredible. It's because it's God's will. That when Jesus came, he said, I am bringing a, a new kingdom to be. And I'm gonna make this kingdom one in which every sad thing comes untrue. I'm making a kingdom in which there is justice and and beauty and grace and compassion in the world. And the way I'm gonna bring about this kingdom is through us, is through people like you and me. So we know that that's God's will. So no matter what we encounter, no matter the challenges that we face, no matter how hard it gets, we can know confidently that that is what God is doing even if we can't see it, that that is God's will. But we also have strength in our message. As Christians, we have one of the most beautiful messages that's ever been put out in the world. In Paul's opening greeting, uh, he gives us the message that he wants to impart, that he wants to impart, and he'll actually continue to impart throughout the entire letter. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace is the message. Paul is going to give a lot of practical application in this letter. He's going to talk about marriage, and he's going to talk about unity in the church, and he's going to talk about how we should be towards one another. He's going to talk about work. He's going to talk about kids. He's going to talk about um, fighting temptation. He's going to give us a lot of practical information about what it looks like for you and I to actually live as Christians but he starts out by telling us that this is all about imparting a message of grace and peace. In fact, the Greek word for grace appears 12 times in this short little letter. This short letter that if you sat down and read it from front to back will take you 23 minutes. In 23 minutes, 
Paul will write the word grace 12 times. That's, that's an incredible amount of times. The only other books in the New Testament that have that word more are Romans and Acts and 2 Corinthians. And all of those books are like twice as long, if not longer, than Ephesians. That's the reason one theologian says there is more gospel per square inch in Ephesians than any other book in all the Bible. There is strength in the message of grace. Many of us think, whether we admit it or not, that there must be some sort of breaking point with God. That there is at some point, there is a certain amount of sin or or certain sins that it's just gonna be too much for God. My friend, uh, Justin Holcomb, who um, he and his wife have written books on sexual abuse and domestic abuse that are incredible. He also, with his wife, wrote a book called God Made All of Me. It's a book for small children to help uh, them understand their bodies and how to protect it, and we sell it in the Resource Center, and I encourage you, if you have small kids, you should get that book. Um, But Justin is a man who profoundly understands the grace of God, and, and he teaches it so well. And he tells the story about the time he flooded his neighbor's house when he was 10 years old. And and I want to share with you uh, his story. He said, our neighbors had moved away and were trying to sell their house. One day I broke in through the back door and closed the drains and all of the sinks and tubs and turned on all the faucets. Then I just sat and watched water flood the entire house. I let the water run while I went home for dinner, returning a few hours later to turn it off. I knew what I had done was wrong, and I was even shocked that I had wanted to do something so destructive. When our neighbors found the damage the following day while showing the home to a prospective buyer, they came to our house and asked my family if they had seen anyone around their place recently. On top of what I had already done, I lied to my neighbors and my parents. I felt completely messed up. I was destroying stuff for the sake of destroying, and then I lied blatantly to everyone. I had heard about asking God's forgiveness. My father had taught me the Lord's Prayer, so I began to beg God to forgive me. I was so worried that he wouldn't. Surely something so deliberate and so cruel was just too much to forgive. After a month, with an uneasy conscience, I was finally found out. Another neighbor had seen me sneaking around and told my parents. My father called me in from playing outside with my friends and asked me if I remembered anything important about the flooding incident. I knew something was up, but I felt like I had to stick with the lie at this point. Finally, my dad told me that I was busted. I experienced an overwhelming sense of shame and guilt for my sins, as well as an intense fear of the consequences. I sobbed and muttered, Dad, I'm so sorry. I've been asking God to forgive me for so long and I don't know if he ever will. In a moment of parental love and great wisdom, my dad said, oh, if you ask God to forgive you, then you are forgiven. You deserve to be punished and this will cost a lot of money to fix, but son, you are forgiven. Go outside and play. In that moment, the reality of forgiveness and gratuitous grace powerfully moved me. Now when I confess my sins, I think of that experience of absolution. My dad didn't take grace too far. He saw my misunderstanding, how fear of God's wrath and my father's discipline was crushing me. 
So he decided to take the consequences of my sin and literally pay them for me. Instead of experiencing my fears unfold, I knew I was safe with my dad and I finally understood what he had always told me growing up. I love you unconditionally. I knew there was nothing I could do to cause him to love me less. I also knew there was nothing I could do to cause him to love me more. He loved me because I was his. That's our message. That's the message we have. That, that, there is strength in that story. That we have a God who is gratuitous with his grace because that's the only way that grace exists. And as you and I, as we study this letter of Ephesians, that message is just going to come out in so many different ways. And because Paul knew this kind of grace, he also understood peace. Because Paul knew this kind of grace, he knew that human weakness and sin was not the end of the story. That God was at work. And that God would work and use us, sometimes even in spite of us. That means that you and I can have peace no matter what. That you and I can have peace knowing that God is not holding any of our sin against us. When we, when we understand grace and peace, when we get the, this grace and peace that comes from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have a new kind of confidence to risk to go after whatever it is that God is calling us to go after. Even when it feels like impossible odds, the strength of our message compels us to keep working even when it doesn't make sense. I'd like to introduce you to um, someone else from my trip. Uh, this is Hannah, and that's her son, Kia. And I actually met Hannah two years ago when I when I went the first time. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about Hannah's story. Hannah um, has two sons. Kia is her younger son. Um, and uh, when Kia was just a baby, uh, he's, the, he's the younger one, like I just said. And um, when he was just a baby, her husband sent her and the two boys on what he called a vacation. When they came back, uh, he had moved another woman into their house and essentially kicked them out. Now, Hannah had gotten married very young. She didn't really have any education. She had no real skills in which to, to make a living or provide for her boys. And so immediately, they were in a pretty hopeless situation. And when Aini met Hannah, um, she met her uh, at a cemetery. Uh, that is where Hannah chose to uh, sleep, where she chose to set up residence with her two boys. And she said it was because uh, she was ready to die. She thought, well, if, I just, if we just stay in the cemetery when I die, like, it's done. Um, and, and when she met Aini, she had lots of, uh, of thoughts of suicide, and, and even the thought of her two sons wasn't really enough to keep her going. Uh, but, but Aini invited her uh, into the program, invited her boys into the program. And when, when I met her two years ago, um, she was better than, than the state she was um, when Aini met her, but she still wouldn't really make eye contact. She wouldn't really talk much. She, she, she seemed like a, like a very shamed woman. Um, 
And this time, uh, this picture was taken on our very first day there. Uh, as soon as we pulled up, she actually remembered uh, some of us who had been on that trip two years ago, and she was so excited to see us. She couldn't wait to talk to us, to tell us all the things that have been happening in her life over the last two years. Um, and what you're seeing right there is a, a coffee stand that she set up. Um, coffee's a really big deal in Ethiopia. And from that little coffee stand, she actually makes enough money to support uh, her two boys. And, uh, and, and it was just, it was incredible just to have her just talk to us, uh, to this woman who wouldn't really speak two years ago was now just telling about all these things that God was doing in her life and how much, uh, Aini had meant to her and how much God had used Aini. And that was our first day. The rest of the week, we went on all these home visits and we encountered woman after woman who had very similar stories and almost all of them mentioned uh, going through a period, and some of them were even kind of currently still in a period where they were, where they were debating whether it would be better for them just to die. Um, and, and I tell you that um, to say that Aini's that work isn't done, that, that this incredible story with Hannah keeps happening over and over again. In fact, I believe there's like 150 women and children on the waiting list to get in the program. And so it's a pretty overwhelming situation. But one of the things that Aini said to me that stuck with me, that I, that I just keep thinking about, one, one day um, she was laughing. She laughs a lot. And, and someone said to her, like, Aini, you just, you're just always so joyful. Like, you're always laughing. You're always playing with the kids. You always seem to just be excited about whatever's next. And, and she responded. She said, I always have joy. She says, I always have joy. She goes, even, even when it's tough, even when it's bad, even when things are going wrong, she says, when you're in God's will, you always have joy. And I think the reason that stuck with me is that seems crazy to me. I don't know that I experienced that like her. I don't know that I always have joy. What about you? Do you know what God's will is for you? Do you know what need God has fashioned your heart to meet? My guess is, if you don't know, you have an inkling. And I really believe as we engage in Ephesians together, it will become so profoundly clear. And I can't wait to see what God does through this church as we grab hold of that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you uh, for this book. I thank you for an introduction to a letter that tells us where our strength comes from, that our strength comes from our source, which is your will, which, which your will is to make everything new, to restore everything that's been broken, to wipe away every tear from every eye. And strength comes from a message of incredible, amazing, unconditional, gratuitous grace and peace. And Father, I pray that as we study your word together, that we would hear so clearly from you, that there would be people uh, that take risks that they never would have thought they would have taken before. 
not because of themselves, not because they think they can do it, but because they're so overwhelmed by what you are doing. Because they're trusting more in what you can do than what they can do. I pray that for myself and I pray that for each of us that calls this place our home. Surprise us this summer in, in, in amazing ways. In Jesus' name, amen.